Welcome to a crate smashing episode of Save Station Radio. I'm your host Dustin, and with me is my co-host Connor. Hey there. And this week we're discussing the always wonderful and weirdly horny Crash Bandicoot. Randy Bandicoot. Smash Bandicoot. Um, <laughs> this was, of course, developed by Naughty Dog and published by Sony and Universal Interactive. It had a remake, which is what we played published by Activision and developed by Vicarious Visions. Uh, Originally, it came out on September 9th, 1996. And, of course, the Insane version came out June 30th, 2017 on just PS4. I believe it didn't come out on Xbox One, right? That came later. Yeah, the PC, the Switch, and the Xbox One port all came out on June 29th, 2018. So almost a full year afterward. Activision's remake stuff is weird like that. I think Nitro Kart still isn't on PC, which is insane. Like, why? Pretty insane. Um, so, we have a Metacritic aggregate score of 80%. Uh, you ran into something weird with this aggregate score when you looked it up. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, so, for some reason, some of these older games, specifically Crash 1 and 2, and then some of the later games in the series, are just not on Metacritic at all. So, this score actually comes from Game Rankings, which was an older site, and then... It got shut down in December of 2019, so really not that long ago, and then it just got merged to Metacritic. Like, if you go to any of their links, it just redirects, which is super weird, but it does about the same thing. It just gathers reviews from all different sites, and or it used to do that, and now it's dead. So, yeah, I mean, I found that, that it's it was an 80% around the time. This is for the original, not the Insane Trilogy, but yeah, about an 80%, which I think is pretty fair. Yeah, I agree, especially for the time. So, like I said earlier, this was developed by Naughty Dog. And you have some interesting stuff in here. Um, It was not their first game, which I knew. I had heard of Rings of Power on the Genesis. I had not heard of this Apple II stuff. Yeah, so apparently they did... And some of this might have been under a different name before they changed to Naughty Dog, but it's still the same, same exact team and same exact company. Um, they did Dream Zone and Keef the Thief, which were both for the Apple II. Uh, Dream Zone was in, released in 1988 and Keef the Thief in 89. Dustin mentioned Rings of Power, which came out for the Sega Genesis on 1991. And then they did Way of the Warrior, which was only for the 3DO, um, which came out in 1994. And so this was their first notable release, really. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think most people know this, but it's still uh, like a fun fact. It was codenamed Sonic's Ass because you would be staring at Crash Bandicoot's ass most of the time, uh, which is fun, and he's wearing blue jeans, so of course. And it was uh, it it was meant to compete with Sonic and Mario pretty heavily, as evidenced if people see. I would I would say they're pretty much required viewing. Go watch those old commercials with Crash Bandicoot and the megaphone. They're super fun uh, outside of Nintendo's headquarters. Yeah, it's just super great. I love that they gave him this, you know, he was a mascot that was created in the late 90s, so he's got a lot of that 90s attitude. He's a he's a bandicootitude, but you know, it's like eh. <laughs> it's it's more funny to laugh at nowadays than than it probably was originally. I mean, to give the marketing credit on that, I feel like it's I feel like that it's memorable. Like a lot of those mascots I don't feel like stick out in that way. Uh, but Crash does. I feel like those commercials are like strokes of geniuses. Yeah, because the only thing that came close was the Sega commercials back in the day. But that was less focused on Sonic and specifically and more focused on the Genesis being the edgier console, which, you know, whatever. <laughs> that, that stuff is always so weird, too, because like 99% of the time I find it does not actually reflect the character. Because, like, like Crash, for example, is kind of just a dumb goofball. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. And then go back and look at, like, the original trailer for Yoshi's Island. Like, that trailer is disgusting and has nothing to do with the game. Yeah, that stuff is... It, it's interesting to see what, um, what like, was popular in marketing then. I, th- I think that stuff's fascinating. I think those Crash trailers and that, like, original Smash Brothers trailers are, like, required viewing for video game content. If oh, it's so if you iconic. Yeah, th- those are both really fun. Um, another fun fact for the development of this game, there's a lot that you can go learn about for this game, but the character originally was named Willy the Wombat. And that was like, you know, still in planning stages, concept art. And then they started developing levels and they started adding crates. 
and then they decided that smashing through crates was so much fun so they're like eh we'll just let's name him crash instead and then they changed him to a bandicoot another marsupial so i i thought that was really interesting that this crash character was a lot from the concepts for willy the wombat he looks a lot more like kid oriented instead of crash which is definitely a lot more cutesy yeah for sure yeah and honestly like again i know some people don't like crash's design uh but i i think it stands out i think it's one of those characters that like most people can recognize right away like he's pretty iconic so i mean good on them i think that that totally makes sense yeah i mean not having a neck will do that <laughs> you know we we all don't need necks like <laughs> yeah stop, stop it <laughs> Uh, you also have in here that Mario 64 came out in on June 23rd of 96, which is So that is a great co- segue. Yeah. So I have that in here because we we're going to talk about our histories with these games. And I'll start a little bit and we'll get to the Mario thing in a second. PlayStation was my first video game console. I did not have a Nintendo system. And my first game actually was Spyro the Dragon. Um, so that's my favorite game series. But I had a lot of Crash stuff too. Um, I think it's pretty commonly known. Um that Crash and Spyro were pretty linked, even though they had they had one cross- crossover way later, but I think most people who played one play the other. And so I did have Crash games and um, loved them as a kid. I'm super nostalgic for them, and I don't think I ever beat one as a kid. They're pretty hard, <laughs> but I still... Um, when, when Insane Trilogy was announced, like I lost my... Whoa! And it, it, it was an insanely special moment for me. Um, I have Mario 64 on here because I find it interesting. Um, when I got into listening to like, video game podcasts and, like, more criticism, stuff like that, I kind of, it kind of put me in the mindset that Crash and Spyro were weird things to have as a child, and to love as a child. Like, all anybody would talk about was Mario, and, like, those platforming mascots never got discussed or mentioned, at least in the stuff I was uh, listening to and watching. Yeah, so I put the release date in here because I find it fascinating that Mario only came out a couple months earlier than Crash. With that context of those podcasts and stuff, I had just had it in my head and assumed that Crash Bandicoot was, like, years after Mario, and that it wasn't as good, and that Nintendo, you know, had gotten it before anybody else had even tried, and that's not actually true. They were in development around the same time, which is just... I know that's, like, not mind-blowing to literally anybody else, but to me, when I I finally, like, put those dots together, because I was a very little kid when these games came out, it was kind of this moment of, oh, these are actually closer than I thought um, and I find it interesting to compare the two because they're kind of two different approaches to going to 3D uh, Mario 64 being a bit more open and explorative and Crash Bandicoot kind of being this linear game I would say it's almost like a literal interpretation of a 3D platformer of a 2D to 3D platformer like it feels the most like if you were to take Mario World and then flip the camera behind Mario you know what I mean yeah for sure I think the you know everyone praises mario 64 for making that jump to 3d and it deserves all that praise don't get me wrong and i think a lot of the special novelty that came out of mario 64 was that open level design and especially the free moving camera but you know the stuff that crash did for the 3d platformer you know having that sort of depth to the 2d sections which you'd see later in other games but even still just having that tight, precise platforming still in a 3D space. Um, and the amount of detail placed into the world as well was like so mind-blowing for 96. I th- still think the original looks great today. Oh, yeah. Like, if you compare that and Mario 64, like, it's not even a contest. Crash looks amazing. And that's, you know, and that's because, like, they have a fixed camera in a very small area, which is smart, and they can cram it with details and... Uh, you know, they only have to render what's on screen, which is not that much. So you end up getting a pretty stunning looking game on the PlayStation. I mean, and the PlayStation could also fit a lot more data on a CD than you could fit on a cartridge. So, and it could also process better graphics. Uh, Something I found about the development of this game was that they originally wanted to put a lot more detail into it. But um, when they actually got it onto a console, they discovered that the console would 
like chug when trying to render all that. So they actually left those early stages just they just left them and did the later factory levels um, just to you know get used to it. And then they came back to those originals with sort of like the technical aspect of it. Yeah, and it's so wild thinking about Naughty Dog in that way because they've kind of always been great at technically looking, technically impressive looking games. I mean, we we reviewed the Last of Us games earlier this year, and I mean that's that's been true now, right? From 1996 to 2020, they're always pushing graphics, and like their games always look kind of a step ahead of everybody else always, which is pretty impressive to keep that legacy all that time. Even uh, Jack and Dexter looked really good on PS2. Oh yeah, and that's the one that and all of this early stuff are the Naughty Dog games that I have yet to play. But I think the way that they're using the console to like, yes, the areas are pretty contained and there's a lot of stuff that just isn't allowed to be seen by the player. I think that gives them a lot of a lot more, you know, console power to put a lot of detail into it and they discovered that as early as this game yeah it's pretty pretty fascinating stuff so why don't you go ahead and give me your history with crash yeah so i i grew up knowing about crash basically because i obviously i grew up with with dustin over here and he's a huge crash fan but i my first console was the nintendo gamecube and my first Crash game that I would ever own was, I believe, if it wasn't Insane Trilogy, that it was one of those McDonald's Tiger Electronics games. Oh, God. So I was not... I think I may have had the one of the GBA crossover games back in the day, but I don't have it now. That's worse. You don't want those. <laughs> it's worse. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. So yeah, I I knew about Crash and I knew about a lot of his games, but I just never really played them. I think the mo- the earliest memory I have is there's like a 3D hub world for one of the racing games on the Wii, I believe. Um, I remember playing that either at your house or a different friend's house, and that's about it. You know, I was I just didn't play, and the same goes for Spyro. I just didn't have a PlayStation. The first PlayStation console, I think, was when my sibling got a PS3, and that was, like, when they were in high school. So, way later. Yeah, understandable. Since you were a first-time... You know, relatively new to Crash. I guess this isn't your first time playing this because you have played the Insane Trilogy before, right? Yes. I was actually looking back at my lists and I only beat Crash 2 and 3 for the first time this year. So, yeah, I'm very new to the series. So, yeah, let's let's get your general review of it then. I want to hear your thoughts. What What's what's going on with it? Of the, fir- the, the first game specifically. We'll get into the sequels yeah, later. We're- we're splitting. We're not doing Insane Trilogy as one big episode. We are. We're splitting them up uh, in the lead up to Crash Four. So, I. I mean, I knew pretty much everything there was to know about this game before going into it. But when you get your, when you get into it, I actually really like this game. And uh, some of the moves seem like Crash's moves are just he can jump, and he can spin. And the spin is great. I love the spin. It's just great for dealing with enemies. It's great for breaking boxes, which is why they named him Crash in the first place, because they thought that was so fun. And, um, you know, it's just great to... I love the sound effects that play and the his goofy tornado spin animation that plays. All of that is super charming, but the gameplay itself, just being a simple, like, 2.5D platformer, essentially... I love how tight the controls are and I'm playing this off of the insane trilogy. I know the controls are slightly different from the original, but the controls are really tight. The platforming while being precise at some points are, seems really fair a lot of the time. And I don't know, it has the same sort of like flow state that I love in 
the classic Sonic games, which seems kind of weird because these are very different, but that flow of being able to recognize what's in front of you as it comes up and being able to react accordingly, that sort of perpetual motion that you can get is so, so fantastic. And when that happens, that's great. And when it's not happening, it's still pretty great because then you're challenged to think about how you can do that on your next attempt. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely one of those games where you're going to die a lot, but thanks to the Insane Trilogy version specifically, the checkpointing makes it so you're back in like that, like just snap of your fingers. Um, I think because of that system, you are end up being showered in lives, so it's never too frustrating. It's just kind of like, okay, try again, try again. This didn't work, try again, try again, try again. And it's that just that like... You know, thing that games like, yeah, Sonic or like even like Trials or whatever, those kind of platforming games where you just like, I just want to try one more time, one more time until you eventually get it. I don't know. I like to call this like the slam your head against a wall genre, you know, until you break through. Yeah, I can see that. And there's there's like a joy to that to me. Like, like these games make this is going to sound like an insult. It's not. These are the kind of games I love to just put on a podcast to and challenge myself with. And they just, there's like a chillness to them, even though they're very hard, but there's like a chill kind of coziness to them that I find. And I definitely feel that way about Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, that growing familiarity with the level and its challenges as you begin to overcome them is, it's very soothing and very satisfying when you do manage to pull it off. Yeah, totally. So you're talking about this sort of flow state and about uh kind of familiarizing yourself with the level how did you handle the sort of running at the camera segments because those are pretty i don't know i call them divisive i guess there's a lot of people who don't like those so i think you're talking specifically about like the boulder chase levels um those i actually don't mind they're definitely on the weaker side of the levels in this game um i actually found the the hog riding levels worse but I think just that the biggest problem there is the camera, and that's not the first time I'll be complaining about the camera in this trilogy, mind you, but the it gives you enough lead time, and again, with that memorization of the stage as you go along, I think it's fine. Nothing like comes out of nowhere, I feel like. I feel like you have ample time to react to it, if a little less than the other stages, but I don't know. I enjoyed them. I didn't find them too frustrating. Yeah, I agree. I actually love those levels. I think that they, for me personally, I do feel like they give you enough lead time and it's just kind of about your reaction time. And I I just like that a lot. I also just kind of love seeing the DNA of Uncharted (laughs) there because there's a lot of similar moments and I think that's fun. You touched on the hog levels. Those are levels I don't like either. And I think I don't like them because the readability is weird. Specifically, there's like drums you're supposed to bounce on to bounce over gaps. And I think that those never make sense to me. Yeah. And that's that sort of problem bleeds into a lot of the other levels too, where it's just depth perception. But also there's a lot of times when uh, there's those like tiki pillars and you'll have to swerve around them. Sometimes they'll just be in the way of the camera and they're hard to see around or there'll be enemies that you're supposed to dodge, but they like will change their movement a little bit before you get to them. And then the drums as well, you have to, time and then hold your button presses to get over it it's just a little weird and the readability isn't very strong in that one i agree um is there anything else you want to touch on for your sort of criticism of it so the basic gameplay breaks down into just you know jumping and spinning and breaking boxes and getting past enemies um you can also collect wumpa fruit which is this game's coins they're they look like mangoes um collect 100 of them you get an extra life pretty simple um and then there's also the aku aku masks which getting one will give you an extra hit two will give you a second extra hit and then the third one will give you temporary invincibility when that runs out you go back to just having two hits i really want to like the invincibility power up and when it's useful it's really useful but sometimes but when you get invincible you jump a little bit higher and you run faster and for some levels, it just does not work as well. I feel like I always die when I have it too. And, but I kind of, for me personally, I just kind of blame that on like, oh, it gives me confidence because I'm, inv- I'm invincible. And I just run through the level and then I'm no! platforming. <laughs> like, well, it doesn't save me from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just feels weird when you get this 
it's like getting a star in Mario and then having to do extremely precise platforming while being a ball of death. It's like, I don't really want to be precise platforming. I want to do other things, which is fine, but it just comes across, especially with the added speed. And then you have to do really precise movements. It's like, okay, I don't know if they really planned for this, but it's not too unmanageable. I found. Yeah. Which version did you play? Uh, I played on the Nintendo switch which is the version I'll be playing for all three of these games. Oh, you're missing out on that 4K. <laughs> I know, I'm so sad. Cool, cool. Um, well, for my thoughts on it, I and take this as you will, I, like I said earlier, I love these games, specifically the insane versions. I think the PlayStation version, especially of 1, is very hard to go back to. There are just several quality of life things that the insane version fixes that I just like I can't handle in the original stuff like it's the kind of platformer where if you get a game over you don't go back to the beginning of the level you go back several levels where your last save point was stuff like that that I just cannot stand um this is a game that has bonus bonus levels in the mid level you collect three character uh icons and then you know you get a bonus level and in the original game if you died in those bonus levels it'd count against you count against as a life and some of those bonus levels are rough they're pretty challenging platforming pieces where you'll be bouncing on crates that you're destroying and so you can't get back so it's just it's kind of hard and so losing a life is just incredibly unfair on those and the insane version just lets you retry them until you get it it's just something that i greatly appreciate and those bonus levels too there's the you find the character tokens once you find three then usually the third one's right at the bonus stage and then you jump in in the original, you collect the three Tana emblems, which is Crash's friend, girlfriend, whatever. You collect the three Tana emblems and you do the Tana bonus stage. And then when you get to the end of it, she lets you save to your memory card. Why? <laughs> Why is it like that? Yeah, it's um, it's just one of those like old game things that's just like, ugh, why... Why and you did can you design like, it this way? Like when you, I think there's a way you can get like a password in that game as well. It's like, oh my god, you just this is. You could tell it's age because they're still requiring passwords for things. Like that was a thing that we ditched in the Super Nintendo era. Are you kidding me? But whatever. Yeah. So th- so that's why I think that like if if I were to recommend a version of this game, it'd definitely be the insane version. I think that that this is the kind of remaster that takes a good game that takes some work to get into and makes it just a great modern game. You know, with some quirks, for sure. Um, I think one of the things most people have a problem with is the hitbox is different for Crash. And it actually can make the insane version a bit more challenging. In the original, it's kind of a rectangle shape, and in this one, it's kind of a pill shape. So that means sometimes you'll miss ledges that you'd have been able to make in the original game. But honestly, I don't. I think it's fine. I think it's a fine trade-off. Um, I mean, that specifically with the hitboxes of the terrain and the enemies as well, I found like super unfair. Honestly, um, there was a great. It was in the uh, the Super Gaming Brothers playthrough of the Insane Trilogy where they made a recurring joke of Vicarious Visions the as a hitbox, and God, it just comes up so frequently where you'll get. You'll like jump on an enemy and then if you're barely off of it, then it just won't count and you'll get hit by it. Or sometimes you'll just slip off of corners and stuff. And it's like really frustrating when it happens, but I don't find that to be a deal breaker and it beats the hell out of having to do a bonus stage to save. Honestly, I'll take that over it. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't feel like I run into those issues that often. Um, and maybe I'm just blind to it because I like this game so much, but I, I honestly don't have noticed that. You know, sometimes I will slip off the thing, but I feel like it's like, yeah, maybe those things are, aren't are great, but they're also not inconsistent, you know? Like, I feel like they're consistently that way so you can learn them. It's not like I'm ever surprised, I guess, after having played this game for a bit. Yeah, there's a couple times when it, like, catches me off guard. I'm like, oh, I definitely don't think I should have slipped off there, but it's... A lot of the time, like 80% of the time, it feels like if I miss a jump, then it was my fault. And that's the best kind of challenge in a game. So, yeah, I, you know, I've kind of given my thoughts periodically through this. But I, I, I want to touch on, like, I love the Insane Version's, like, animation and goofy-ass-looking characters. And 
I just think it's all very charming, and I think they did a great job of translating that stuff and making it look modern and nice. Oh my god, it's like one step away from being a straight-up Disney movie, and that and that being rendered on a console in real time is still baffling to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's really pleasant looking, for sure. Like I, I love Crash's just goofy ass animations. I love the stupid like, like there's snakes in some levels, and there's just there's just like a nice cartoony bubbliness to it all. Oh yeah, I love Cortex's over the top facial animations, and all of that are just really great. And the original had pretty great animations for the time as well. You know, a lot of those characters were really expressive and the voice acting and the lip syncing all matched really well. And like for a PS one game, it's great. And it still honestly looks better than like Sonic adventure (laughs) one does, or even adventure two, you could argue, but whatever it's like, it's really high quality stuff for the PlayStation one. And then, for the insane trilogy on the ps4 switch or whatever it is like phenomenal and that's something that these remakes have been doing amazingly well yeah for sure um i think the biggest complaint i have about crash one is like half the soundtrack i don't like like i really like the main theme and anything that kind of sounds like the main theme it's like cartoony bubbly like like kind of got a jungly vibe to it but everything else that kind of has this generic rock sound, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, but that's like the biggest complaint I have, which is not much of a complaint, to be honest. Oh yeah, this soundtrack is really great. It's a, got a lot of energy. It's got a lot of, like you said, sort of that like jungle instruments, a lot of marimba and stuff. And then some of the stages will not have that. And I think that's where it kind of falters. Um the best thing when I was studying the soundtrack after beating the game is a lot of those early jungle levels will have a lot of marimba in the soundtrack, which is, you know, mallet percussion instrument. And then when you get to stages like Cortex Power, as you are transitioning away from the jungle and into the more factory levels, it actually adds in a vibraphone, which is very much like a marimba, except it's made the bars are made of metal and it also has some like electrical components if you find the right versions of them or whatever but it brings that in so it's that same sort of marimba sound except it is metallic (laughs) and somewhat like electronic which is very fitting for this transitional stage and then when you get into the later more industrial stages you get a lot of like synthesizer and whatnot and it definitely works for those later ones i find them to be a little lacking um, and then some stages like the hog riding levels, I'm like, okay, yeah, they're, they fit, but they're not the best. I mean, those are fine. And yeah, I just don't really love the later levels. Like, like it, it just feel like it doesn't sound, it, it feels like it lost some of the personality. Cause I feel like the soundtrack has a lot of personality. Um, and I think to me, the clearest example of this, and this is going to sound really cruel, but I think that the bonus level stage music sounds like royalty three free music you'd find on an audio library. <laughs> I just it just kind of grates on me a bit. I don't know, and maybe other people have different opinions, but I just I just don't like it. It just feels very generic rock to me. Yeah, I feel like the level stages do the level music does a lot better job than most of the other stuff, but it's all it's not too bad really, um, and it's something that'll get better over the trilogy. Yeah, main theme's a banger, though. Oh, yeah. Hits you right at the title screen. Yeah, love that. Uh, So, yeah, so normally we'd warn you about spoilers. I'm going to be honest, though. This is just a cartoony game with not an in-depth plot at all. So if you want to stick around, go ahead. If you don't, we're going to talk specifically about levels and stuff. Uh, Connor 100%ed it, which is amazing, and you have more stamina than I do. So he'll talk about his experience. Oh, and I guess I didn't say, I played this game on PC, so people know. So I did play in 4K. So I guess I got the true experience. (laughs) (laughs) But I got the true experience of playing Crash Bandicoot while lying in my bed at 2 a.m. So, you know. I I will say, I have played this game on PS4, Switch, and now PC. So I am an idiot who buys the same game three times. So I do have experience with all of those platforms. Uh, And it plays great on pretty much everything. The Switch version is fantastic if you're on the go like those levels are short and they make for 
great portable gaming, you know, if you don't want to smash your Switch or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but they, it does work as a great portable game. So if that's something you're looking at, I know 2020, you know, in our current, like, quarantine times, it's... That might not be a great proposition, but it works. And I and the PC version playing at sixty frames is marvelous. Like this just feels great at sixty. And I I will say if you can do that, if you have a power enough PC, which you you may, it shouldn't be that hard. It um it plays wonderfully at that frame rate. And the PC version also, I'm I think there's a pretty decent fan community making some mods for it, which I'm waiting for some like full level hacks, but. There's some costume hacks and whatnot that are pretty interesting if you're into that sort of thing. Um, You know, it being on PC will open that. Yeah, I just watched a a video, I believe it was Crystal Fizzer, who does a lot of Spyro and Crash stuff, if you're interested in that, uh, showing off a uh, Cortex model in Crash 1, which is pretty cool. Uh, So yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into some more specific stuff. let's just start i want to hear about your 100 percent experience so honestly it's not nearly as bad as i thought it was going to be <laughs> you know i don't normally go for 100 percent in games um this was a rare case where i knew we were going to do this game for the podcast and then i started it way too early so then i was like well i don't want to start the next one so i'll just you know spend some time doing whatever and then i ended up getting 102 <laughs> percent but the only it's actually fairly comfortable 100%ing this one um the biggest thing is so you have to break every box in the stage to get a a colorless gem or a clear gem and that's totally fine you know the insane trilogy gives you the box count at all times um when you get to the end it'll also just have the tally there and then if you have a ball it'll turn into a gem super cool um the only exception to this is the colored gems, which I believe there's five of. Is that correct, or is there six in this one? I want to say there's five, but I'm I believe not there's five. Again, I did not 100% this one. I'm in the middle of playing two, and there's five in that one, so I'm pretty sure it's five. But in those stages where there's a colored gem, then you have to break every box in the stage without dying, which in the original was how you would get any gem. And... God, no, I would not do that on the original PlayStation. That would suck. But those colored gem stages are like the hardest thing to do when completing. Otherwise, it's just sort of memorizing. Because when you get a colored gem, not only is it just you have to beat the stage without dying, it then opens up pathways in previous levels. And that's where it gets a little confusing because you'll go through a stage breaking every box and then you'll get to the end and it's like, oh, you're missing... 20 boxes or whatever it's like okay but where were they oh well there was a gem platform i don't have the gem for so you know you have to get the gem and then you have to come back to that stage and play it over again to figure it out whatever the point is is that color gems are like the most challenging part of getting full completion other than stormy ascent we'll get to that later and it's i mean it's not bad honestly it was really challenging but it was challenging in a way that I haven't experienced in a platformer in a really long time where you know if you die halfway through the stage and you've gotten checkpoint boxes you have to start all the way over you have to quit out to the menu and then start over again and but the levels are so tightly designed and like enemy patterns are really predictable so that when you do a full run through the stage without dying and taking too much damage and you get all of that uh it's super satisfying to pull off and I actually really enjoyed that Nice. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Um, I want to talk about some of the difficulty spikes in this game. I feel like most people will say, uh, oh, is it Road Snowboard? The first bridge level. Or the second uh, bridge level, rather. there. Yes, I believe so. That would be the high road. Yeah, yeah, that's right. As being an incredible difficulty spike, and I agree that level's weirdly challenging, you can kind of cheese it and walk on the tight ropes, but if you do it the intended way, it's it's just, it's it's a pretty rough one. I, I enjoy it, especially this being my whatever, how many of a playthrough of this game. Um, 
I think it's fun. I think jumping between these, you know, wooden logs or wooden planks all the time and some of them falling in creates a fun challenge. But I do think the level's misplaced and it should probably be closer to the end. And also part of the problem too is I feel like the enemies are really hard to read because like there are these turtles you have to bounce on, but sometimes they're just floating in midair, which is weird. And then these like hogs that run at you and you can like stop them if you break the floor where they're going to run, but that's not really telegraphed or explained to you at all. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a weird. <laughs> I would just either. Yeah, they'll just stop. I would either jump over them because you can't jump on them. I learned that. I would either jump over them as they're running towards me or I would jump on the tightrope and skip them because no way. <laughs> yeah, so it can be kind of a rough, rough level. And then I would also nominate, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but we talked about it earlier, um, you know, like Hogwild. I think that level is ridiculously hard. And I think it's also just down to the re- readability of those drums. I think that's honestly 90% of my problem with it is I just feel like, like I feel like am I supposed to, like the first couple times I play that level, am I supposed to jump over this? Because it doesn't look like it'll bounce me over there, and it's just it's just a little bit weird. Um, and then the spit roasting hawks too are pretty rough. Oh yeah, judging whether they're going to be above or below you is going to be hard. My biggest recommendation for playing this game, if you haven't played it already, is do not go for box gems or color gems or anything until after you complete the game. Oh yeah, no because just go through the levels normally beat the final boss or just get to the second to last stage that's fine and then go back and in the insane trilogy especially it will let you know which stages have colored gems and then which stages you've already completed and gotten gems for which is very helpful um and then in the insane trilogy which wasn't in the original there's also a little tip screen that pops up before the start of a level those can really help for readability and then even some of the other completionist stuff like for certain levels it will say oh unlock a different pathway in this level by collecting the green gem elsewhere so then you go get the green gem and you can come back to that level you don't have to worry about the box gem your first time time running through or coming back and not being able to get it again all of that is very helpful it doesn't always do that um there's a couple stages where there is a color gem platform, but it doesn't tell you about that. The one specifically is Jungle Rollers. There's a color gem platform in there that you that it doesn't tell you about. I think just play this play the game normally and then go back if you want to complete it. But like the gems are not as important as they make them out to be unless you are really going for the true ending. No, plus you'll get to see the greatest animation of all time, which is either Crash or Coco just getting demolished by falling boxes. <laughs> Until they're just fucking dead. They're oh, dead. They they're, it die. kills them. Coco literally <laughs> gets crushed under the weight of her laptop. <laughs> <laughs> just laying on the floor. It's, they're so it's, dead. That's such a funny animation to me. Uh, we didn't mention, but it's super cool that they added her as a playable, playable character. Um, and they added her to 2 and 3 as well. And I love the context there that she comes out of a portal from Warped, which if, you know, we'll, we'll get to it in that episode, but Warped is about time traveling and you run through these portals to time travel to different, um, you know, places in time. So I just love that they even thought about context for it, which is cute. Yeah, she time travels back to help Crash. Yeah, and then you have um, Uka Uka, who's the evil mask from 3, is also on the game over screen, but they they made it super dark so you can barely tell who it is which again is a, just, it's just a fun little reference context thing there is a bug in the switch version where that darkness filter is turned off sometimes it's kind of funny to yes. look at sometimes it's bizarre i didn't run into it this playthrough but yeah you're just like oh well that doesn't have the intended effect at all yeah that was okay. the thing that shocked me going through it this time i didn't get a game over once and by the end of the game i had 99 lives Oh, nice. Yeah, like, I did not have I don't know if that's just because I'm a true but... pro gamer or whatever, but, like, <laughs> it's, um, I don't know. I feel like it was fair, and it throws a lot of lives at you, which is very much appreciated, especially when things get really tough. In one of the later stages, I did lose, like, 20 lives in one stage, but I had so many that it wasn't a problem. Um, you know, as long as you keep going at it, you're gonna, you're gonna beat the game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I did not have 99 lives, <laughs> But I also did not play it for as long as you, so maybe that's why. Um, or I just suck and I'm not a real gamer. Uh, the, yeah, the only time I got a game over this playthrough was when I attempted Stormy Ascent. And I just... I, I, I was like, I don't have the energy to finish this. <laughs> yeah, so the main 
my main gripe with the 100% grind. It's not the beating the stage without dying. It's not the, it's not like the hog stages. Those are fine. The biggest thing that just does not work in this game at all is when you're, when you're going for a gem and you're forced to go against the camera in a stage that's not built for it. Oh, when you have to go down the other split paths. Yes. It just does not work. And I don't know why they would plan around that. Like it just, uh, stages like, um, Cortex power especially just yeah, are so frustrating. Oh man, that's a that one because there's so many split paths and it's just like ugh. Yeah. yeah, I honestly tried to Google a map of the stage, but no one made one unfortunately, so I just had to map it out in my head. Ugh, that stage is frustrating. But and we talked about like the boulder levels that when you're running towards the camera, they give you appropriate time to react to that that is not the case when you're going backwards in a stage it does not give you any reaction time you have to basically tap the d-pad just very slightly over and over to get to make sure you don't run into something at full speed that is the low point of trying to 100 percent this i will say that the some of my least favorite stages in the game are the the two darkness levels oh really i like that one the, the when you get when you collect the mask and it illuminates around you and you have to platform really fast to get to the next one yeah the two stages are lights out and fumbling in the dark lights out is pretty fun i like that stage fumbling the dark is absolute bullshit yeah uh they can be pretty rough i i can't remember which one but one of them you're going to run out no matter what no matter how fast you platform it feels like towards the end so you have to platform in the dark which you know it can be bullshit Whoa! especially if you're running alone lives or whatever i I tend to like it, but I don't know. It's just, I could I could totally see why that would be annoying. Yeah, and maybe it was, because I think Fumbling in the Dark was the one that just really tripped me up when going for the box gem, especially since seven of the boxes are actually placed before the starting spot. <laughs> so you have to, if you miss them, you have to start the stage over, and you also, there's like no platforms. You have to jump around pillars in a weird angle, and... I don't know, it's just rough. But that is actually a bonus stage that you can unlock by getting all of the Cortex tokens in a different stage. So if you're not collecting those and not really looking for those, then you might not even encounter that stage. It's completely optional. Same with one of the hog levels. Yeah, because that's why I'm like, I didn't have any problems with it, but yeah, I didn't 100% at this time, so that makes more sense. Uh, Yeah, you want us to talk about Stormy Ascent? Yeah, Stormy Ascent's, it's super cool, because this was a cut level from the original game that fans had discovered and restored a little bit, so you can you can go out there and play it if you want. Uh, but Vicarious Visions actually remastered it and included it as free DLC for Insane Trilogy, and that it's just included in any version you buy nowadays, so whatever you get, you'll, you'll get Stormy Ascent. And it is... Um, uh bullshit Whoa! <laughs> but it's super cool that it's there but man it is uh it's a it's a challenge for sure so if you like the platforming you like the the challenge of it it's it's hard it's my problem with it so it uses the um the sort of castle tile set yeah stages like slippery climb and yes i think that's the main one yeah so it uses that tile set so it's all 2d and you're just climbing up the this castle but the problem with it is, and what makes it so challenging, is that there's a ton of moving platforms, and the timing on them is just so off, so you just you spend a lot of time waiting, and if you're an impatient player like me, you're just going to be jumping into the void a lot, <laughs> just trying to hit these platforms, and there's just a lot of platforms that feel like these are going at the same rate, so I can't make that jump, but they're not, they're slightly different, so you just have to wait, and wait for the cycles to line up, and I find that just insanely frustrating yeah i mean there's a couple jumps in that level that there's one where there's these two platforms and they're sliding directly at each other and then they slide away and you have to time the jump on the right timing of when they're sliding towards or away from each other and then you have to jump in the middle so that the next platform will get there when you land and it's like totally unreadable and something you have to study like while you're looking at it and that one's super frustrating. The other thing that I did note is the Insane Trilogy adds where if you die a bunch of times, it will begin to give you Aku masks when you respawn, which is very helpful. And then and if you continue checkpoints, yeah, if you continue to die, it'll replace some of the boxes later in the stage with the checkpoint box, so you don't have to do that little part of the game again, which is super nice. Uh, when I was doing Stormy Ascent, I did die. I think that was the stage I died. 
uh, 23 times before beating that one. But I got to the point where I was just getting Aku masks. So I would actually jump off of the platform, land on one of the spike blocks that are standing there. It has collision. So if you, you can land on it. And then I would jump off of it with my invincibility frames and land further down in the level, just kind of skipping a whole section with grabby hands and staircases. Those guys, those fucking guys, they're so creepy. (laughs) Who are they? I thought Cortex was only doing experiments on the animals. Uh, Nope. (laughs) They're just minions that he threw in jail? I don't know. Yeah, I it, it's it's just one of those things where I love it. It's there. I think it's super cool that they restored this and remastered it. I just hate playing it, but I think it's dope <laughs> it's there, you know? Yep, I did get the box gem for it. And that if you do that, you get 102% on the save file, which is very cool. Yeah, totally. I, I love that recognition. And I also believe you can play this from the start of the game if you want. Yes, you can. You don't have to play through the entire game. It's on the final islands like right next to the final boss but you can skip to it if you want to i don't know why you would want to but you can (laughs) the other thing they added for crash one was the relics which are a thing from crash two and three and they're basically just three they were only in three yeah i think so and they added them to two for this release as well um crash one is not a game that's built for (laughs) speedrunning, so the relics just kind of don't work because that's not how crash one is designed you know, there's no slide jump. There's no like waste of cheese things. It's like a lot of waiting for platforms to line up. And I don't think relics were really designed for this game. So whatever. They're there. Yeah. I mean, they're optional, right? They're, I, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, it doesn't hurt. Like, you know, if you want to go for them, whatever, but not necessary. Uh, what did you think of the bosses? We didn't really touch on them. I, I think they're okay. <laughs> um, to be honest, the only one I really, I like Pinstripe because he's a weirdo, not because I think that fight is fun. <laughs> and I like, I like the Cortex fight because it is platforming. It's hard as, Whoa! but like I think it it focuses on dodging and um, dodging the obstacles, which I do like. It feels like it it's an extension of the core gameplay, and it feels like it's testing you on that. The rest of them are just like either stupid easy or hard because you're waiting for cycles. Yeah, my least favorite is uh, Pinstripe. That fight is so boring. <laughs> Or yeah, just it's a boring unfair. fight. I just like him because he's a weirdo rat. <laughs> yeah, no, I like his design it's, and the fact that he has a real ass gun. But like, I hate just sitting behind a chair and waiting for him to reload, and then you have to go hit him. Like, it's okay, all right. <laughs> it's not very exciting. Um, yeah. Koala Kong, I found decent. He'll throw a rock, and then you—that's my least favorite. <laughs> by the way, I actually the best part about that is when there's like minecarts driving in front of him and you have to time when you throw the rock back at him. Other than that, it's like, eh, it's really boring. Yeah, but if you've Whoa! got the time and you have to wait through that whole cycle again, it's exactly. just like, ugh, yeah. Yeah, it's boring. Uh, Ripperoo is, I don't know, timing the explosives and then making sure that they don't, like when they drift a certain way and then making sure he's lined up and they, that he's close enough to it. It's really Ripperoo weird. for me is always a case of two extremes. I either do it first try or it takes me like a hundred tries. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I know it's just a timing thing. And I just, I, I don't know. Every time I play this game though, it's always like a crapshoot of like, am I going to nail it first try? Or am I going to spend like 20 minutes on this boss? Uh, Papu Papu is super easy. <laughs> just extremely easy. He's the like first pathetically boss. Pathetically so like easy. Whatever, you just yeah. jump on him. Also very sympathetic. You, you got to imagine him and his people here. Just like the f- chilling in this stupid <laughs> cartoon bandicoots. <laughs> jumping on their heads and Whoa! i feel yeah, for some some dip Whoa! makes a mutated bandicoot and then it comes and wrecks your Whoa! like hey <laughs> cortex can you f- off with your weird animals yeah i'm just saying poor guy he's a unsung hero hashtag free papu apu <laughs> not a true <laughs> villain that's all i'm saying uh embryo's second phase the hitbox was a little weird for me but other than that i think that's a cool fight yeah i don't mind that one either because again it focuses on dodging and there's uh, enemies sorta... that you have to bounce on to shoot yeah. back at him. Yeah, for sure. I do love when he transforms into the second phase, though, and he's like, okay, no, just dump them together and drink both of them. I got nothing left. Yeah, that animation's really funny. And the one where he falls out the window, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, is there anything else you want to discuss before we wrap it up? No, I mean, that's Crash Bandicoot. It's 
fun. It's old. Like if you get over that, I mean, the insane trilogy helps a lot with that. Definitely play that version. I mean, you probably were anyway, since it's on all the modern consoles and PC, but you know, if you had to choose, play the play the better version yeah for sure um so we're not going to do a legacy thing because we're going to be continuing with the series with two next time around i wanted to try a new segment out since we oftentimes rec uh we oftentimes talk about other media we view for our notes or whatever where I just, like, recommended some stuff for people to view if they want more Crash Bandicoot content. Uh, and this week I have on here uh, a video called Every Crash Bandicoot Level Ranked, ranked in all caps, uh, 163 levels from worst to best, and that's by Square Eye Jack on YouTube. It's just a really fun, like, like two hour long, like, it's massive, so it's a commitment, but it, he just goes through every uh, Crash game, every platformer game, I think he leaves out the racing ones, and just ranks his least favorite to his most favorite and it's just it's a good time he's he's i think he's the script is fun i think he's fun to listen to so that's my recommendation for this week yeah and we'll put a link to that in the episode description as well yeah and of course earlier we talked about those commercials which you should definitely check out yeah and the super gaming brothers let's play of it that they did a couple years ago i'll link a playlist for that yeah well Thanks for joining us. Uh, like I said, next time in, in a fortnight, we will be talking about Crash Bandicoot 2, uh, The Wrath of Cortex, the insane version, I assume, unless you want to get your hands on the original. Uh, it's Cortex Strikes Back, but no, I'll Cortex be playing Strikes the Insane Back. Trilogy again. Wrath of Cortex is the bad PS2 game. Um, <laughs> bad Crash Which I guess 4. we should address. We're not playing anything in between. There was a ton of Crash games in between uh, 3 and now what is 4. Just because we don't have time, honestly. And since they're calling this one Crash 4, we thought, oh, they seem to be going off the Insane Trilogy, so we're just going to play it that way. And, you know, maybe sometime in the future we'll backtrack, but honestly, I don't really want to with these games. Because <laughs> um, yeah, kind of after someday, Naughty Dog's boom. involvement, the quality went a little downhill. I know some people really like um, Twin Sanity, but... Yeah, which, to be fair, I've never played, so maybe maybe we'll we'll make an excuse and do that. Yeah, the last Crash game that Naughty Dog worked on was actually Crash Team Racing. So, you know. <laughs> Which, we'll, you know, we'll honestly, we'll, on that we'll, one probably, anyway. we'll probably do that one at some point. But as far as the Naughty Dog, like PS2 era ones go, eh, honestly, it's it's kind of a lot of mediocrity, unfortunately. Yeah, someday, but Crash 4 is going to be the finale of the Crash for a bit. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Where can the people find you, Connor? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Brickmaster03. You can also follow the show at SaveStationPod on Twitter. Um, I link that in the episode description for everything, so you can find us there. Yeah, and you can follow me at DustinHDragon on Twitter. And I hope you all have a nice day. Yep, take care. <laughs> <laughs>